Hey, 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 welcome, Housers, to another episode of On the Way Home, a podcast brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door, uh, my organization located north of Toronto and in the GTA, and our good friends at the Canadian Alliance to end homelessness. They are doing exceptional work. Uh, if you want to become a built for zero community, and let me tell you, you do check out their website at caeh.ca uh, and as well all the different amazing things they're doing. Um, they quite often when budgets either provincial or federal usually federal are being uh, brought forward uh, they rally around people and have different things this time it was a housing prevention benefit um, that they're pushing hard on uh, and then you could get on board to support that and get your community in everyone so check out their website at cah.ca to see all the wonderful things that the canadian alliance and homelessness uh, is doing because I am just scratching the surface. Meanwhile, at Blue Door, uh, great things happening as always with a tremendous team there. We continue to work on scaling our construction social enterprise construct to have a greater impact, perhaps across Ontario, perhaps across the country, and maybe perhaps uh, south of the border at some point because, hey, it works. It prevents people from entering into homelessness because we need thousands of people in the trades to build the millions of homes we need across the country. Uh, and tradespeople are retiring at a rapid rate. People need jobs with a meaningful wage that are meaningful. Um, so it should be a living wage and meaningful work. And that's what we do with the construct program. Plus, guess what? Hey, we are doing construction projects. So it brings in revenue to Blue Door, not on the backs of government, right? So we're getting it done. We are part of the solution, the good folks at Blue Door. But let's get to today's guest. Uh, he has come on the podcast a couple times before, I believe. This time is his first time solo. And we're going to talk a little bit about the national housing strategy. This is a strategy that was the first ever uh, by the federal government getting back into the housing game in 2017. It was exciting. It was launched uh, with great enthusiasm. Everyone in the sector was super excited. Now it's six years later. Where is it at? Is it working? Does it need a reset? Our guest today, Jacob Gorenkoff, is going to talk a little bit about that because he recently wrote an article saying it needs a reset. And we want to find out why he's saying that and what the suggestions are. Jake, welcome to the show. A member of the bald community, Mike. <laughs> You're getting there. You're getting there. There's still, still a little dusting uh, on top, but uh, good work on the beard. Thanks. Appreciate it. Jacob, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I love chatting with you about this stuff, and you're doing wonderful work at CHRA. Uh, the first question we always ask, and you're getting a couple opportunities to get it right, uh, and that is, uh, what does home mean to you? Thanks for the question, Mike. And, and it's a great one, honestly. Um, I think oftentimes when we think about home, we, we think about four walls and a roof. But at the same time, home is so much more than that. Um, it's about community. It's about feeling connected to the area that we're living in, um, connected to the people that are around us. And I think we realize that's especially true in light of the COVID-19 pandemic when we, we couldn't go out for a lot of it. Um, but I think what we're also seeing now with uh, so many people feeling the affordability crunch is that home is also about affordability. Um, there is a majority of people, I think, at this point, according to recent public opinion polls that say that... Uh, uh, housing affordability is one of their top concerns. And it's, it's something that's especially true for the people that we work with um, who are in need of affordable housing. 
Yeah, it's so true. I think uh, people think of the physical structure, but instead what housing usually means to people is what that physical structure brings you. You talk about the comfort, community, safety, uh, well-being and that kind of stuff. Interesting enough, uh, in, the Tr in Toronto, uh, there is a new race to become mayor. And they're saying one of the big pieces that people are thinking about, of course, is housing and affordability. I think 40, only 47%, which they said was high, said we think there's not enough uh, housing in Toronto, um, which I thought was pretty low because I would think that almost everyone would think that, but 47%, apparently it was it was quite high. And then when they flipped it over, the, the sad part about that was 74% said, yeah, we need more affordable housing, just not near me. So NIMBYism is alive and well, sadly. Uh, and, and, and listen, here's a uh, newsflash for all of those people. And it has to be near you. It is for you. It is part of your community, for people in your community. This has got to happen. So if we're going to build affordable housing, it's got to be mixed in everywhere. And that is the best possible model. Listen, before we get going and talk about you and, and all the good stuff that uh, is happening, or sorry, before we talk about CHRA, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your journey into this sector. If you could give us the high points, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jacob. Okay, I'll try not to ramble too much. <laughs> um, I, I think like a lot of people, um, I, I basically fell into working in this sector. Um, I when, when I was in school, I discovered how much I loved advocacy. And eventually I decided the best place for me to go to pursue a career in advocacy was Ottawa. Um, <clears throat> I did my uh, master's in political management at Carleton, learned about the, the elements that actually go into making an effective advocate. And I got my first job out of uh, my master's uh, lobbying for the Canadian Real Estate Association, mostly about home ownership. And um, it, it was a great sort of uh, introduction to learning about both like housing policy and advocacy. But I got to the point where I realized that there, there's this whole section of the housing spectrum where there's so much more work that could be done where, where I could have a real impact. And so I found out about a job with the Canadian Housing Renewal Association about, uh, I think about three years ago now. Time's really flown with COVID. Um, and I started off as uh, basically as a jack of all trades, helping out wherever I could. Um, but more recently, over the last, I think, maybe eight months, again, time is flying. Um, I, I've been focusing entirely on policy and advocacy, trying to get things into the budget, trying to make sure that we actually uh, have an affordable housing sector equipped with what we need to make sure that people can be adequately housed. Well, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about CHRA. What are, I mean, there's, there's how many members and how does it work and what's the purpose? Um, you've been through a leadership change. You've got a new uh, ED. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So um, for people that don't know, uh, CHRA, the Canadian Housing and Renewal Association, is the national organization representing the affordable housing sector. Um, our members um, are—they they come from all sorts of backgrounds. We have municipalities, provincial and territorial housing departments, affordable housing providers, service providers, construction companies, uh, individuals that are interested in dealing with the housing crisis. Um, and collectively, all of them house, shelter, and support hundreds of thousands of people across the country. And they also provide other services to people that are experiencing housing precarity and homelessness too. Um, a lot of the work that we do is related to two things. Um, one being uh, providing capacity building programs and services like um, the, the programs offered through the Chartered Institute of Housing uh, or the Housing Professionals Mentorship Program, which Mike, you, you've been a mentor in before and now I'm a mentor in, which is a lot of fun. 
Um, but we also exist, and like the reason why we exist, why we were created back in 1968, was to advocate on behalf of the sector with the uh, federal government. Um, what's new and exciting, Mike, you mentioned that we have, we've had a change in leadership. So now we have this uh, fantastic fellow named Ray Sullivan, who's our executive director. Um, he joined us back in July, I believe. And uh, for those of you that don't know Ray, you should, because he's fantastic and I love him. And that's not just because I want to raise, but it's, <laughs> it's because he, he really is, he's, he's an incredible leader. He knows his stuff as it relates to affordable housing. And Mike, as you and I would appreciate, he can crack a very, very good cringeworthy dad joke. Um, it's, it's fantastic. But uh, um, under Ray's leadership, um, we've really embarked upon a huge revamp of our advocacy efforts. Um, over the last six months or so, we've taken half as many meetings with designated public office holders as we had in the previous 13 years of lobbying. So that just goes to show how much work is happening as it relates to advocacy with the federal government. And relatedly, we're starting to get a lot of media attention and we're getting a lot of opportunities to demonstrate our thought leadership with the federal government and begin making more things happen to uh, address Canada's housing issues. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and, and you're absolutely, CHRA provides that kind of one voice. You gather all the input from your members and what you're hearing across the country. You kind of put it together and make sure that it's going in the ear of government. And we so appreciate that. You're doing a great job. Uh, just recently, as we record this, today is March 31st, as we record this, it won't come out on March 31st, but the budget this week, federal budget was passed. You and I talked fairly disappointing on the housing end of things. Uh, let's talk a little bit, if you're comfortable, like what we'd hoped for, what didn't happen. We know even with the Ontario budget that was passed, I think a week before, um, there was some housing news out of there or around the homelessness portfolio. They put uh, you know uh, millions more forward, federally not so much. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it, it was a very disappointing budget for housing. Uh, we, we were given signals that there would be a lot more in there for us. Um, obviously, like we, we were also told that it was a time of fiscal restraint and that we should measure for like temporary expectations. But um, two, two of the things that we advocated for very, very strongly, um, one being uh, funding for an urban, rural and northern Indigenous housing strategy um, to be delivered by an Indigenous led housing center. Um, we working off of the um, National Housing Council's recommendation that uh, there needed to be $56 billion over 10 years uh, to meet the needs of Indigenous peoples living in urban, rural and northern areas off reserve. Um, we, we were disappointed that we only got $4 billion over seven years and that funding is only going to begin to roll out in the next fiscal year. So it's kind of just, um, it's not reflective of the need. And that money, according to the budget backgrounder, is also going to be given to the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation instead of uh, noting that it would be given to an Indigenous-led organization. So that's something that was disappointing that we want uh, to make sure that we continue to follow up on. Um, another thing of great importance to us was related to an injection of additional funds in the National Housing Co-Investment Fund. Uh, the Co-Investment Fund is the flagship program to create affordable housing through the National Housing Strategy. And from working with uh, CMHC and doing our own calculations, we determined that the program needed an injection of $4 billion per year in order to continue to create housing at the level that we saw before rising interest rates and inflation and construction costs going up. Um, and instead of that, uh, even though we were given signals that there would be something in there, 
uh, not the full amount that we asked for, but something, um, we ended up being given um, a promise to repurpose funds from the repair stream of co-investment into the new construction stream, which isn't exactly the most sensible considering that CMHC reported that almost 40% of affordable housing units are in need of repair right now. So the fact that there is money in that pot just means that people can access that money. It's not because there's no need. Um, relatedly, we were also hoping for funding for a property acquisition program to uh, basically support nonprofits, uh, co-ops and municipalities to compete in the private market and um, acquire existing rental properties so that they can ensure that they remain affordable in perpetuity. Um, and related to all of that, um, we recognize that we're in a context right now where a lot has changed. Uh, inflation has gone up. Interest rates have gone up significantly over the last year, like really nine months. Um, and construction costs have gone up a lot. So a lot of national housing strategy programs that may have worked back in 2017 when the strategy was created don't necessarily work anymore. And we need a commitment to revisiting them so that we can continue to meet the needs of Canadians that need affordable housing. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, I, it, it's, uh, you talk about um, shuffling money around at CMHC, who's you know, a partner quite often in this podcast, but part of the uh, challenge always, with even with new money coming in, is access to it, right? And there are some some pieces where uh, the access is, is so tough to get at for pots of innovation money, say, or rent to own, it's not being spent. They're not getting projects coming forward because they just can't match up. Right. Um, but, but the need is definitely there. What is, I've heard 15 to one, 13 to one for every new build, we lose 15 to the private market crumbling infrastructure or 13 or seven. I mean, we're definitely losing more uh, to crumbling infrastructure and privatization where, where they come in to buy up affordable housing is no longer affordable than uh, to new builds. So it was disappointing, yet we push on uh, and your work uh, continues and, and we're fortunate to have you uh, leading some of that work and continuing to be the voice that will not just go away. Now, speaking of having a voice, you recently penned an article, I'm going to read it here, Canada's National Housing Strategy Needs a Reset. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today uh, in greater depth. Uh, before diving in too far, and for those who don't know, can you just shape up the national, give kind of broad strokes of the national housing strategies, beginnings and, and, and the idea behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so the national housing strategy was created in 2017 out of a realization that Canada's housing supply of all types, especially affordable rental, uh, wasn't keeping pace with demand. Um, we were experiencing increasing incidents of homelessness and poor housing need that required major policy intervention from the federal government. And to, to credit the, the Liberals who are currently still in government, um, they, they intervened in affordable housing policy after decades of relative inaction from both Liberals and Conservatives before them. So kudos to them. 
Um, but to today, the national housing strategy, which is $89 billion, or, or I should say valued at $89 billion, which is supposed to run until 2028, um, there, there, there are things that could be tweaked, could be revamped. And um, we, we want to work with them to make that happen. Yeah, let's talk about that. Even when they launched the National Housing Strategy, I remember, and, and tons of respect for Adam Vaughn, who was the driver behind that, but he was the parliamentary secretary, a lot of it was kind of back and loaded, right? Like for the first few years, and it built on, and, and also it built on time when they may not be, the Liberals may not be in power, right? If it goes to 2028, uh, right now, it seems that they may be uh, able to hold on to that until 2025, uh, pending their agreement with the, the NDP. Uh, but beyond that, we're, we're unsure. Uh, but let's talk about, um, you know, the national housing strategy. Uh, I'd say some of the things that they could point to that have been semi-successful are really the rapid housing initiative where they've seen uh, a lot of housing come out of that. And I think we're, we're just on round three now. Um, but, you know, the challenges since they've launched this have really grown. We've actually seen the number of people experiencing affordability issues and homelessness grow. Um, so, you know, people looking at this or opposition might say, this isn't working. Um, and you might tend to agree. What are some of the pieces you think are working well and that we could point to say, you know, let's build on this. And, and what are some of the pieces that absolutely need to kind of rethink? Yeah, you know what? Um... Rather than starting with the things that I think are working well, I, I think we should talk about why things are moving so slowly. And like a lot of the time when we talk about creating housing in Canada, we talk about the delays that we experience. There, there are tons of them, right? When, when we think at the local level, we think about issues with zoning and permitting, but there are also bureaucratic hoops at the federal level too. So we, we've seen over the last couple of years, especially um, the, the parliamentary budget officer and uh, the Office of the Auditor General, um, both, both are independent officers of Parliament uh, with mandates to table reports analyzing uh, different federal programs. Um, they, they both indicated that um, a big problem with the national housing strategy is the, the implementation delays that are being experienced with most programs, um, especially like the Rental Construction Financing Initiative and the National Housing Co-Investment Fund. Um, be, because of the way these programs are structured, the money is just not being rolled out quickly enough. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem, obviously, because we're, we're not creating the housing that we need uh, nearly as quickly as we should be. Um, and, and I think like we also need to think about the sheer size of the crisis. Um, programs like the Rapid Housing Initiative that got money out the door quickly were great. And we need to try to replicate them and learn from that experience with that program as much as we can. Um, but we, when we think about the, the, the crisis and the size of it, like $89 billion in the national housing strategy is actually not going to get us that far. Um, there was a June 2022 report from CMHC that said that we need to build three and a half million housing units above and beyond what is going to be created through the national housing strategy. And by the time that pro or not program, that um, uh, publication was put online back in June 2022, um, that research wasn't indicative of rising inflation that we've experienced since, or interest rates going up, or construction costs going up, where we've actually had the, the parliamentary budget officer say that um, federal spending power to create housing has gone down significantly because of those things. So just be, because of those factors, um, that three and a half million units above and beyond what's going to be created through the national housing strategy has undoubtedly grown. 
And then you also factor in the fact that the federal government is going to bring in more immigrants than expected as well. Um, we're, we're going to need to find places to put them. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring in immigrants. I think we should because we need them. Um, but we also need to be able to house them. And we need to be able to house the people that are in Canada already too. And so we're, we're looking at this situation where it needs to be all hands on deck because like that, that three and a half million units above and beyond what the national housing strategy is going to fund is probably more like 5 million now with all these new changes. So what, what's worked rapid housing initiative, which is like the main example, let's find ways to do things like that more, um, and try to get rid of these implementation barriers as fast as possible. Otherwise we're, we're we have no chance of meeting these housing shortfalls and restoring affordability. Yeah, well put. I know even from, from Blue Door, we've been trying to work through a property uh, that we have and the co-investment just won't work. Not to have deeply affordable. And now let's remind people too that uh, CMHC's definition or federal government definition of affordable, I think it's 80% of mid-market rent, which is truly unaffordable to uh, most of, at least our clients and many people, right? So when we look at like truly affordable, it's really hard. And what's happened with those rising co-investment, there'll be some grant money, but also there'll be some, uh, they'll, they'll arrange a bit of a loan. And as you spoke to rising interest rates, then those loan costs go up, construction costs go up. Instead of building 40 units, now maybe you can only do 25 and that might I, throw everything off. Uh, so it's really put us all uh, into uh, a tailspin. So if you were, if you were working with the government right now and they were saying, Jake, tell us what needs to happen to turn this around. What are some of the, the things that, that you would suggest to them with this reset? Um, I, I think where I would start is with what's already there. Um, and that's uh, thinking about the, the flagship program to create affordable housing, which is the National Housing Co-Investment Fund. Um, th there, there have always been problems with it. Um, not, not to say that it was a, a bad program from the outset, but um, like anything, it could have been improved um, long ago. And they've tried to do that. Um, in the last couple of years alone, there have been literally hundreds of tweaks to that program to try to make it uh, more user friendly so that the, the funds were easier to access. Um, has that been the case? I'm not sure. I've never actually had to navigate the program. I'm just aware of, you know, the, the broad strokes and the, 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 the um, macro level policy and advocacy around it. Um, but, but with co-investment too, if we're thinking about this changing context, uh, the, the original intent of the program, which was to um, renew or create affordable housing, to reduce homelessness and core housing need, um, it was designed at a time of historically low interest rates back in 2017. But now we need to acknowledge that the economic context has shifted considerably. We, we've been through a global pandemic, um, like, like we were talking about inflation, interest rates, construction costs, they've all gone up and we, we need to change to adapt to that context. And Mike, um, we, we've talked about this before, but, and I know like you, you've experienced similar things through, or you've experienced this with Blue Door. Um, in that like interest rates rose so quickly back in 2022 in that, that latter half of the year um, because of that and other increased costs related to construction and labor and things like that, it meant that projects that were no longer viable even a couple months earlier, or sorry, that were viable a couple months earlier were no longer viable after that. They just weren't penciling out anymore because of those changes. So what, what ended up happening was that a lot of the projects that were already in the co-investment pipeline were in danger of falling through 
And a lot of the nonprofits that had already committed um, considerable money to getting ready to do these projects could, could have been in a lot of danger of falling apart if uh, CMHC didn't rescue them by adding additional grant dollars for them to those projects. Um, so that, that's what CMHC did. They, they allocated additional grant dollars to those projects at the time. And it, it was the right call because you needed to make sure that those projects didn't fall, follow through or sorry, fall through because if they did, we would have been in an even worse situation after. But the consequence of that is that the co-investment funds grant budget has been significantly diminished. And we, we have to keep in mind that it's 2023, like the, the, we're at the end of the first quarter of 2023 and the national housing strategy is supposed to last until 2028. So we have five years and uh, five years to go, and um, the, the grant budget is largely diminished. So to make the remaining funds last, because they, they need to do something for the next five years, uh, CMHC ended up capping the grant contributions at $25,000 per unit, which was dropped from 40% of total project cost. So in some cases, that's a drop of about $175,000 in grants per unit. So that, that alone may, makes you think that like, you, you won't be able to have a project that pencils out. And uh, another interesting thing to note, um, there, there are some projects in the city of Toronto that are getting almost, or sorry, more than triple the amount of maximum grant funding uh, from the city um, compared to what they can get from CMHC now, which is kind of backwards considering um, the, the, the difference in fiscal capacity that the city has versus the federal government has, like the, the federal government has so much more money than cities do. Um, but all that to say, uh, a lot of projects have multi-million dollar funding gaps right now, which means that you literally can't use the co-investment fund to create affordable housing anymore, which is obviously a huge problem, especially when you consider that we need to more than double the stock of affordable housing just to be in line with the OECD average. It's not a good situation. And so, uh, as I was mentioning earlier, um, CHRA advocated for an injection of $4 billion per year into the program. Um, we, we've lobbied quite hard for it, and we were very, like, genuinely shocked and dismayed that there was no new money for the program. All that to say, though, um, we're going to continue to push for more money and continue to push for um, additional changes to the national housing strategy so we can ensure that people are actually adequately housed. I think you, you uh, in the article I read, you uh, referred to your approach as the Team Canada approach, right, to, uh, to do that. And you're, you're still, the the co-investment, uh, we found that out the hard way about the grants being diminished um, and just the setup of it. You know, what we look at, we have a small project, so it's even trickier. Uh, when we look at 14 units, I remember when we had to hire, we worked with Ellis Dodd Community Builders. Who, who really understand the federal programs well. And they said, look, when they did the performa, they said, you know, uh, basically one of your one of your units out of 14 could be market rent or, or sorry, uh, could be 80% of market rent. And it's that's not really why we're, we're trying to, you know, build deeply affordable housing. Um, and little things too is in that, that get in the way we, we're kind of, uh, you know, stepping on our, our own feet where they where CBC had said, well, you know, because we have the small house and a big piece of land. It makes no sense. We can knock it down, sir. They said, well, you know, if you have five units in that house already, we're not going to pay to replace those because, you know, we only pay for what's new. But obviously you can't build around that house. It would make no sense. Uh, so it, it's very, very tricky, especially for smaller nonprofits that are feeling the need to push into social purpose real estate. That being said, I am so uh, 
it, it gives me great hope. Uh, and I'm so happy that yourself and the team at CHRA are the voice for the sector and are pushing hard. And I know that, you know, you're making that voice heard time and time again. It will get through. Uh, so we do have hope for the future. If people want to find out about the work you're doing at CHRA or get involved, uh, how can they do so? Uh, well, I would recommend that uh, people check out our website. It's uh, chra-achru.ca. Um, but also, if you're not already a CHRA member or partner organization, I'd highly, I'd highly, highly encourage you to consider be, becoming either or both as soon as possible. The more support we have from people that are interested in solving the housing crisis, uh, the, the more we can do to advocate for meaningful change. Um, I would also suggest that you consider joining us in beautiful Winnipeg next month for our annual conference. Uh, happening from April 17th to 20th, and details are available on the CHRA website. Yeah, I will. I will be there. I, I I'm bringing uh, bringing my housing hat, um, and, and I'm looking forward to all the wonderful conversations and ideas and uh, things that will flow out of the conference. is always excellent. So I encourage people if you haven't already sign up. Uh, CHRA, CHRA also, as Jake mentioned, there's uh, mentorship mentor program, which is really, you know, connecting people who might need that kind of mentorship and people who can, you know, like Jake, who have that expertise, who can share it with others. I have been a part of it. It's a, a great program. And as well, if you're looking for, you know, as a housing professional, how do I change up my credentials or how do I add to it? Uh, check out the um, uh, Institute of Housing courses there. I am going through the experienced professional route as we speak right now. Uh, it's a great great of course and it, it lands it's one of the i think the only real designation uh in canada and it's a, a international designation uh, if you're looking at doing so and you're really vested in the sector so check that out for more uh, at the website jake always a pleasure talking with you i look forward to seeing you in winnipeg and thank you for all you're doing for the sector thanks mike for having me i'll come on again anytime you want hey man anytime you have something to talk about different announcements research um budgets anything like that uh, you're a wonderful guest you're well spoken you're fun so you're always welcome back as we look to create you know awareness and education around everything housing homelessness health and uh employment be well thanks mike appreciate it talk to you well there you have it i uh, and i meant when i said jacob's a force and it uh, gives me great hope he's he's much younger than i am uh, he's enthusiastic he's passionate he's smart uh, and so it's great to have voices like his, and he's bringing on others to that table to get the arrow of government to push the agenda of getting more and more affordable housing built across this great nation. I've been on numerous calls with him, uh, and he's listening. Him and the team are listening. Uh, and with Ray's leadership at, at CHRA, uh, great things in the future. As always, a wonderful, informative guest. I learned a lot. I hope you do. I hope you did too. And we'll learn a lot more next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at Writing Class Radio. 
writingclassworkshop.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.